There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of April 2010. I always suggest the newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, peruse all the audios I've got up there. I've had audios for uh, going over the years. I don't know, don't know how many years there are now. Hundreds of shows there. And if you can peruse them at your leisure and don't cram too much in at once and try and retain the information you'll get a, a really good picture on how this big system, which we call the world, works. Because we take so much for granted, because everyone else around us takes everything for granted, we don't realize we're living in a, a planned system. And while you're at it, you can look at the books I have for sale. I've got DVDs and CDs, and uh, some of these CD discs, by the way, have 50 shows on them uh, for sale. Most of the audience is, comes from the U.S., and I find they're the best purchasers in the world compared to the rest of the countries. So I generally address this to the U.S. You can, personal checks are accepted from the U.S. to Canada. You can also go into the U.S. postal offices and get an international postal order for an order. You can use MoneyGram, Western Union, Cash, or PayPal. Now, remember, PayPal is good for donating or for purchasing. Just use the donation button with the appropriate amount of money, and send a separate email with your order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as possible. And remember, too, that goes the same as for the rest of the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, Cash, or PayPal. And I should also say, too, that for those who get the disk burned and passed to them, and lots do, they don't like using computers, they know what it's all about, it's all information gathering, uh, they play them on their CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt. Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P, as in Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, and the number 1, P3E4N1. And, and getting back to systems, that's what we've been thinking about today, is the systems in which we live. We live in one main system called the world's. And yet, our entire lives are run by subsystems, which all work together with this big whole thing called the world. Most countries today, and the first world countries, all have the same systems and subsystems, where we've been moved off the land over a long period of time, sometimes quickly in some countries like like the U.S., the the Great Depression forced about 97% of the public off the land and into the cities. That was done slowly over other countries like Britain and Europe with the Industrial Revolution, uh, mainly through agricultural laws being changed gradually until they're all forced into the cities. And then once we're in the cities, we're given the basic training. It's called education, which is a form of indoctrination, even though we don't know that at the time. 
the first generation that gets education sometimes has a, an inkling that there's more to it than a basic attempt to give you the skills to get through this economic system. But the second generation never does. They take it for granted. And then by the third generation, there's no one to warn the young that you're actually in an indoctrination system. And that's where my head's been going today about uh, the big players who have told us about the system, uh, often tongue-in-cheek, sometimes letting things slip out the bag in their writings. People who were involved in sciences which were unknown to the rest of the world and were not taught even in universities except to a very, very select elite few. And we'll talk about that tonight when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix talking about really the systems in which we live in subsystems I have very few people really ever stopped to question who designed this system and even any particular part within it did it simply develop by itself, evolve through necessity or was it actually designed for you and you'll find when you go into social engineering in different, uh, different areas they are in fact designed for you and then improved for the system over a period of time and only a few people down through the last hundred odd years have given us clues as to how this actually works and these were people who were involved in designing the systems themselves they tell you truths and they tell you a little bit of lies because they're publishing stuff in books which we can all read if we want to very few folk do want to read their books, they're pretty dry but they're very, very informative. So as they're telling you, some of the systems, they don't want to let the cat out the bag and let you know uh, that these systems of controlling or governing masses of people, whole continents or empires, are in fact ancient. They understand that. And they were obviously taught this themselves from a very young age, since most of them came, in fact all of them came really from the governing class. And to start off this, I was going to talk to uh, read a, a part of a book. It's called The Impact of Science on Society. I, I've read different pages from it before, but it kind of ties in with some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight. And it was written by Lord Bertrand Russell, again, part of the governing class. And uh, his parents before him, grandparents, were all members, high-ranking members of the British. Not so much the, the, the parliamentary side of governing but the guys who really did the governing, the ones who worked for what they used to call the Home Office or the Diplomatic Corps, the, the ones who dealt with the economics of the country, because that's really what countries are for, whether you know that or not. You're actually there as a big economy. A country is really a big business. It can include many sub-businesses, but it's really one big business. And we're all part of it. Sometimes we're the collateral for it. We're certainly the guarantors for the for the money and the, the loans and the debts. Uh, but this one here, as I say, is uh, Bertrand Russell, and it was written about 1952, I think. It talks about mass psychology on page 40. It said, I think the subject which will be of most importance politically is mass psychology. 
Mass psychology is, scientifically speaking, not a very advanced study, and so far its professors have not been in universities. Now, that's a bit of a lie, as I say. If you go back into the the books down through the ages, like Machiavelli, you can see mass psychology all right, because they understood how the people would tick and how to manipulate them. And Russell knew that too, but he'd been specially tutored in this, so he had to make you think it was a recent innovation or discovery, how to make us all uh, motivate us to do things. It says here, this study is immensely useful to practical men. Now, now they, they consider themselves to be the only practical people. In fact, the, the ones at the top believe themselves to be the, the only really sane people, to be honest with you, the only conscious people. So he says it's an immensely practical uh, thing for for those who are practical men, and uh, whether they wish to become rich or to acquire governments, to acquire government. It is, of course, as a science founded upon individual psychology, but hitherto it has been employed sort of rule-of-thumb methods which were based upon a kind of intuitive common sense. Its importance has been enormously increased by the growth of modern methods of propaganda. Of these, the most influential is what is called education, now, most people don't realize that that's what your education is. is to, you've been born into a system. Uh, your parents generally give you an idea of what they think it is, whether it's citizenship or nationhood or whatever, and then school takes over from there. So you're already prepped for it. Plus, with television now being the babysitter, every child is prepped before they go to school. And it says here, um, religion plays a part, though a diminishing one. It was a big part for a long, long time. The press, the cinema, and radio, well, now it's TV and Internet, too, uh, also take an increasing part. What is essential in mass psychology is the art of persuasion. If you compare a speech of Hitler's with a speech of, say, Edmund Burke, you will see what strides have been made in the art since the 18th century. What went wrong formally was that people had read in books that man is a rational animal. This is a very important little line here. And most folk will just skip over it. It says, what was wrong formally was that people had read in books, and they took a guess for granted, that man is a rational animal, and framed their arguments on this hypothesis. In other words, uh, someone could simply show you by reasoning what they wanted to do, and you, if you were rational, would agree or disagree with them. But he's telling you here, he says, we know now that uh, the limelight and a brass band do more to persuade than can be done by most elegant train of syllogisms. In other words, symbolism and all the rest of it and the arts of music are far more persuasive uh, than simple rational argument. It may be hoped that in time anybody will be able to persuade anybody of anything if he can catch the patient young and is provided by the state with money and equipment. Well, that's already happened, hasn't it? They've drugged so many children now. It says this subject will make great strides when it's taken up by scientists under a scientific dictatorship. Well, that's what we're in now because uh, we have almost armies behind presidents and prime ministers now advising them on different areas of even right down to population control, uh, foods, what kinds of food we should be eating, all of that kind of stuff. All scientific, scientists, so it's, it's really scientific dictatorship we're under, but on behalf again of those who rule the, the economies. They're always at the top, the banks. 
Then he goes on to talk about um, Anaxagoras maintained that snow is black, but no one believed him. The social psychologists of the future will have a number of classes of school children on whom they will try different methods of producing an unshakable conviction that snow is black. Various results will soon be arrived at. First, that the influence of home is obstructive. So the family unit, you see, is obstructive. That's what the communists do. They were also funded by the West knew that to destroy the family unit. They called it contamination. That was the passing of one set of moral values and beliefs on to the next generation. Contamination. So the home is obstructive, you see. And then it says, second, that not much can be done unless indoctrination begins before the age of ten. Third, that verses set to music and repeatedly intoned are very effective. Fourth, that the opinion that snow is white must be held to show a morbid taste for eccentricity. But I anticipate it is for future scientists to make these maxims precise and discover exactly how much it costs per head to make children believe that snow is black and how much less it would cost to make them believe it is dark grey. He's just giving you a, a sort of an example. In other words, they believe they can make you believe anything. Now just tie that in with the greening. It's not black, you see. It's not grey. It's green. That's the way they're going. Green. They're indoctrinating them into sustainability and, of course, we're all going to die. We're all going to die if we don't let the scientists take over and control our lives and sterilize us all and all of that kind of stuff. He says, all this science will be diligently studied. It will be rigidly confined to the governing class. The populace will not be allowed to know how its convictions were generated. When the te- technique has been perfected, every government that has been in charge of education for a generation will be able to control its subjects securely without the need of armies or policemen. So think about that. There were, this is back in the, the 50s, written by a guy, a very important person who attended world governance meetings. And uh, a lot of these meetings were not even publicized to the general populations because it was much higher than the, the just the, the ones we're hearing of today. These guys knew their stuff. They knew the business of controlling the minds of publics. They knew how patriotism can be created and used for different purposes, especially their own purposes at the top. And they also knew how to destroy patriotism when they conquered other countries and eradicate the old patriotism of the conquered country of the empire. Because this is part of the old British Empire he's talking about too. So you have to be able to, to know how to use and create patriotism, use the symbols of it for each particular country. That's generally your flags, um, uh, familiar songs, marching bands, as he said himself, the uniforms that you're used to for your country, uh, stories to do with past battles and glories. But you you also must know how to go into the country you're conquered and destroy their culture in the process. And then you try to give them a sort of symbiotic relationship between you, the new rulers, and, and parts of their old culture to blend them together. That was very, very successful in India when the British Raj ruled it. Now you take this, this art, this particular book, and then you go into the last part I read there where he said that eventually you wouldn't need armies or policemen. 
But he's talking about really control where the public wouldn't even be, be, be aware that they were being given their opinions. They wouldn't even be aware of, of how, of the process that they arrived at their conclusions, how it was done by these, these experts. And this is from Mark Bard, the SciTech heretic. And it's called Singularity Watched U.S. Airmen to Serve in Parallel Universe, April the 22nd. And it says the U.S. Air Force, which already owns 12 regions in the virtual world, the virtual world, that's a Matrix-type world, like the movie, Second Life, now plans to give each new recruit duplicate copies of himself to manage for the rest of his career. Oh, I can hear the music coming in now. So I'll, I'll read this article. It ties into the Bertrand Russell stuff when I come back from this break. This is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. Tying in an article by Mark Bard, really with Bertrand Russell's book, um, The Impact of Science on Society, because everything that's happening today ties in really with uh, stuff that was written about many, many, many moons ago by people in the know who were really in on the, the, the secrets of science and, and defense, as they call it, the defense systems of their day, and where it was all going to go. They always have uh, futurists working on their teams. They project into the future to maintain a power 50 years, 100 years down the road. That's how power manages itself. It doesn't wait for things to happen. It makes the, their plans happen. They're, they're, therefore, they're always in control. And that's what folk must always realize. Uh, even those in the U.S., they still think that they, they react to things. Nothing is further from the truth. When there's the strategies that are worked out for taking over the Middle East were worked out years and years ago. And I have no doubt even um, the list of countries that would have to be invaded and taken over uh, were being discussed in depth by think tanks when they were already starting to go into Vietnam. They already had the Middle East because they have a whole selection of countries they'll have to take down one after another over a 30, 40, 50 year period. That's how think tanks really do work for the military. And in the days of Bertrand Russell, it was no different too. So he was well in on plans for the world, and his special area was science and scientific techniques and scientific gadgetry, you might say. So it ties in with Mark Bard's article here. Because remember, I mentioned an impact of science on society that eventually they wouldn't need policemen or uh, armies to control the populace. They'll all arrive at the conclusions at the same time, basically, never knowing how they arrived at those particular conclusions. Only the ones who ruled would know the arts that were being used against them. So... Mark Bard's article goes on here. The U.S. Air Force, which already owns 12 regions in the virtual world, Second Life, now plans to give each new recruit duplicate copies of himself to manage for the rest of his career. The airman in the first run of a proposed permanent shift by U.S. military into virtual reality will be assigned to a base that matches the one he has outside of Linden Labs servers almost exactly. The airman's avatar, meanwhile, will have a face that crinkles with age. His avatar will also rack up kills and receive medals in parallel with his real-world rewards. And then he goes on about, it says here, 
Uh, this would take place. This, this, it talks about uh, from a story at the proposal about the proposal. He says this would take place in simulated worlds that mirror the service's actual facilities. Everyone who comes in the Air Force will be given an avatar, and that avatar travels with them, grows with them, changes appearance with them. Said Larry Clemens of the Air Education and Training Command. It will provide them a history of where they've been and a notion of where they're going. The experiment also reiterates the U.S.'s military's commitment to mastering virtual reality after most people are unable to distinguish between their first and second lives. That's what will happen in the singularity, a forthcoming period of advanced technological development in which genetics, nanotechnology and robotics converge and humans achieve immortality. Well, that'll be for some, of course. They're already talking about culling most of the rest of us off. The singularity has been explored and described by Ray Kurzweil and others in the transhumanist movement. And only two years ago, the U.S. Army attempted to define what it might mean to be a leader in the singularity. So this, this really ties in with where they're going. You see, you won't need eventually. Eventually, really, you won't need policemen to police you. Uh, you'll be unable to, to do anything except what your program actually does. Uh, to you, you cannot. It's so, so interesting too, because it ties in again with the the meeting that was held uh, at Loyola University in 2000, uh, where they talked about a scientific meeting, World Science, about a brain chip and how they could actually implant it and control whole regions of areas across the world. Each region having a central computer, they could literally. Uh, give a program to each person for the day even. They could program you to be a plumber one day and a carpenter the next or maybe a surgeon the following. Um, but you could be unaware of what was happening to you. In fact, you'd have no sense of you. You would be a robot in a sense, that's the true sense. So it's all converging together now. And that's why they're not too worried at the top about losing control over the public. In the meantime, they have a kind of war, ongoing war against terror, which is a war of terror, which they must keep in place as we give up all rights, freedoms, and at the same time they introduce these technologies that, which we adapt to and we actually guzzle up so quickly because they're rather fascinating, not knowing uh, where we're being led. And we are being led into a new type of planned society where no one eventually will have the ability to rebel, never mind even say no. So that's Mark Bard on the singularity. And they've got a nice picture here of a, a U.S. Uh, airwoman. Uh, looks very, very female, very nice. Nice kind of uniform on too. It's quite, it's quite, it's camel, but it looks actually quite dressy. And you see she's a nice woman, and I'm sure she is a nice woman. But the fact is she's in a subsystem serving the greater system. And she probably has never thought about that in any great depth because everyone around her in that subsystem does what she does. That's how we are as humans, specialized sections within, within systems. Back with more after these messages. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watch. We're cutting through the matrix. Now another thing too that these boys talked about, Bertrand Russell and Aldo Huxley and many, many more. Again, guys who were intergenerational uh, bigwigs in the governing classes who were involved in uh, high-level think tanks that were very secretive, uh, that had access to all the information of their day and how they projected their, their world for the future and how they planned the world for the future. But they also talked about the immigration problems they, they would have down the road. And, of course, they, they concluded that they could either um, stop immigration from third world countries. That's what they saw as being their biggest threat, third world countries over uh, ruling uh, the other countries and coming in in swarms and swamping the people. Or they could literally equalize the whole world with mass immigration across the, the board uh, because really uh, people like Russell and others didn't really have um, an affinity for any particular country. You understand these intergenerational people who've been bred intergenerationally with each other uh, saw themselves almost as a different species from all of those that they ruled over. Therefore, the world uh, was much the same across the world. The peasant was the peasant in Britain as much as he was a, as a peasant in China. There, there was no real differentiation. And they wanted a global society where they could run the whole planet on a scientific basis. And, and in the process, too, they wanted to eliminate all opposition, all enemies across the world, and make one big system. That's why, that's what, actually it was for their own survival they decided they'd have this world system. They couldn't very well have it if there were competing or different systems across the world. So therefore it would be global, and the mayhem with mass immigration that would happen in the meantime was just tough luck. I think Rockefeller himself said it's just uh, you, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, meaning the fallout on the, the, the native populations with masses of incoming immigration, it was just too bad, the crime rates and all the rest of it. Because often the first ones to move from third world countries are people who made money through crime. And they're going to get easier pickings in countries that are far more naive. They're not used to them. That was also talked about by Jack Zatali, who's at the United Nations, who wrote the book. Um, it was Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. Uh, and the book was entitled Millennium. He said that hordes, Vast hordes would come up from Latin America into the U.S., beginning with the southern states, and cause mayhem on the on the way. And he said it might take a hundred years for them to settle down, and then most of America or the U.S. at least would become Spanish-speaking. And he likened it to the attacks of Rome, or on Rome by the various uh, hordes that came in with the Huns and the Goths and all the rest of it, wave upon wave upon wave. And Natalia also talked about the roving gangs of vigilante crooks, basically, crooks from Latin America on the prowl for anything they could get to sustain themselves. And they're coming from countries where they, they've never really known law and order except brute force, coming into countries where people 
in a system uh, that's more cultured uh, have to go by the, the regular laws. Everyone knows the rules, and therefore the social organism works. These people are coming in from countries where literally it was either uh, kill or, 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 or be killed. When you read some of the, the writings by Huxley, for instance, he talks about this, he touches on this as well. And he's like some quotes here. It says, he said, and Brave New World Revisited, written in the 1960s, I think it was. And Huxley was well in there again in the governing classes who were taught these uh, kind of secret sciences of behavior modification and control of whole populations. He says, um, overpopulation leads to economic insecurity and social unrest. Unrest and insecurity lead to more control by central governments and an increase of their power. And that's true, isn't it? Everyone's seeing the increase of the power, more police, more crime, all that kind of stuff. Everyone suffers. The same thing's happening in Britain, where it was the systems that were designed to take care of the public, like the national health system, uh, are utterly swamped with people coming in from other countries, often with various diseases, and they bring in their extended families who are often very sick. And it was never meant to cope with that kind of population. So there are consequences to it all. And people scratch their heads and say, well, why are they doing it? And it's the, the, the governments themselves who are responsible. Left-wing and right-wing in Britain, for instance, both opened the floodgates to mainly India to start with. And even Margaret Thatcher, who was supposed to be a conservative, said, well, we've got to do this because the British people, you know, British people are very good to do what they're told, that they're 1.5 children and all that kind of stuff, as we're ordered to. And... Uh, she says there's not enough people getting bread to pay off the national debt. That was the excuse given. So this is what uh, Huxley said about the United States. He says, the United States is not at present an overpopulated country. That was back in the 60s. If, however, the population continues to increase at the present rate, which is higher than that of India's increase, though happily a good deal lower than the rate now current in Mexico or Guatemala, the problem of numbers in relation to available resources might well become troublesome by the beginning of the 21st century. Then he goes on to talk about uh, how at the moment it wasn't too much of a problem back in the 60s, but he, he talks about the fact that military would eventually be, kind of be needed to control it all. What we're going through today. And then you read the article in today's paper, and it's from time.com, from cnn.com as well. Arizona governor signs an immigration bill. Arizona's tough immigration enforcement bill will become law, despite being criticized by President Obama as misguided. There's a big furor over this right now. Governor Jan Brewer signed the bill into law on live television on Friday. It takes effect in 90 days after the current legislative sessions in the next several weeks. Brewer said the law protects every Arizona citizen. The sweeping legislation makes it a crime under state law to be in the country illegally. It would also require local police officers to question people about their immigration status if there is reason to suspect they are there illegally. 
Obama said in Washington the measure could violate people's civil rights and said he's instructed the Justice Department to see if it's legal. Obama's called the bill misguided and said it could violate the civil rights by intensifying pressure on the state's Republican governor to veto the nation's toughest legislation against illegal immigration. Arizona government Jan Brewer, who faces a tough election battle and growing anger in the state over illegal immigrants, announced a decision at a Friday afternoon conference. The sweeping measures would make it a crime under the law to be in the country legally, but also require local police officers to question people about their immigration status if there's a reason to suspect they're there illegally. And then it goes on, uh, hundreds of protesters gathered at the state capitol complex Friday, calling on Brewer to veto the legislation. The demonstrators have been camped outside the capitol since the measure passed out the legislature on Monday. Their numbers have grown steadily throughout the week, with buses bringing protesters from as far away as Los Angeles. And about a dozen supporters of the measure also gathered. The bill's Republican sponsor, State Rep. Russell Pierce of Mesa, said Obama and other critics of the bill were against law enforcement, our citizens, and our rule of law. And he's telling the truth, isn't he? I mean, under the idea of a democracy, and even Russell said the same thing, democracy can only work when people are scattered across the land and there's room and uh, they can control the affairs of their own area and they make laws. So they're make, here they are making laws to protect themselves and yet the president's against it all. So, so does that mean that the president's all for um, breaking the law? If they're here illegal, is it illegal or illegal if they're here illegally then shouldn't the law be applied? That's quite simple. Obama's no problem with it, with uh, using the law on everything else. And he's been very innovative with some new laws as well. Pierce said the legislation would remove political handcuffs from police and help drive illegal immigrants from the state. He says, illegal is illegal, said Pierce, a driving force in the issue in Arizona. We'll have less crime, we'll have lower taxes, we'll have safer neighborhoods. We'll have shorter lines in the emergency rooms and hospitals. We'll have smaller classrooms. And, and you've got to admit it, so these are all the problems that countries like Britain uh, are swamped under right now. And then it goes on about the different protesters and so on and so on and so on and so on. Arizona has an estimated 460,000 illegal immigrants and is a state with the most illegal border crossings with the harsh remote desert serving as the gateway for thousands of Mexicans and Central Americans. So, uh, this is expected too. People will try and def- to defend themselves. Uh, the crime rate is, is going sky high there too. And it is true. As I say, the vanguard often with illegals happens to be a lot of the criminal element. Who are born survivors, that's why they get out fast in, into the lands of easy pickings. That's always been the way. And yet the, the, the national government, the U.S. government, is coming down on them for doing so, for following the law and using their laws. That's interesting. And again, it ties in with what Atali said. They all knew it was going to happen, but no one's made any attempt to stop it from happening except till now in one state. So they expect it to happen, and it would seem that the elites want it to happen. 
how can a country that can, they can send thousands and thousands of troops over to faraway places, exotic lands, uh, fuel them, equip them, and keep them in supplies, fight wars, and all the rest of it, but we're told that they can't defend their own border, which is utter nonsense. There's got to be a deeper, deeper reason for what's been going on with this open border treaty. And we know it's part of the, the free trade agreement and the NAFTA agreement and what they talk about at the summit of the Americas all the time and the integration of the countries into one. And again, it's just the omelette once again. You cannot get all the countries into one big blending machine without breaking the eggs first if you want to make an omelette. That's how they describe this kind of process. So for the people who are the victims of crime or they can't get uh, hospital treatment or anything else, well, that's just tough luck. That's the breaking of the shells to make the omelette. And, and they even say it'll take maybe a few generations of suffering before anything smooths out at the end of it. That's quite quite something, but nothing is a surprise because everything's planned that way. The boys at the top on the, on the national and international level never leave anything to chance. So if it's happening, it's been happening for a long time, all across Europe for many, many years, and in the U.S. from, from Southern America or Latin America upwards, it's because they want it to happen. You can't really bring in a, a global governance system where you're going to treat everybody the same unless you first make every country the same, with the same problems. And then they force sterilization across the board on everyone in the wrong classes. And just, that's how really what they're after, all, all of this. The people who run the countries today are all internationalists. They couldn't get into power unless they were internationalists. They wouldn't get the funding. The doors wouldn't be opened for them, and the, and the way was paved for them. Because there's only one, one agenda, and it is international. Now, talking about ways of influencing people and altering your your mind or controlling your mind, I read from Brzezinski's book I read yesterday about, uh, he talked about sort of electromagnetic waves which could be used a whole, across whole continents to alter uh, the behavior and the moods of people. They could actually use it like tranquilizers if they wanted to or excite you. You'll find guys like Persinger, Professor Persinger, also worked with the Pentagon uh, on this kind of technique of mass mind control and manipulation of emotions make people very passive or excited according to the type of wave you used. And he teaches at Laurentian University now, but he's even got YouTube videos up. But he, the Pentagon direct, uh, did work with him directly on these particular projects of sending these, these signals across the whole of the U.S. and Canada. And they were given, under different guises, better light bulbs, for instance, right? The low-energy light bulbs that take control of your TV, did you know that the new, beautiful, wonderful, energy-saving uh, mercury light bulbs can uh, emit high-intensive radiation? Anyone who's got a good little radio who can put up to one of these bulbs, you'll see it, you'll lose all the stations on it. It gives off a very powerful signal. This is from the Mail Online, April the 12th, 2010. Some feared it must have been a problem with the remote for their television. 
Others suspected ghostly goings on, but when TV viewers complained their sets were changing channel by themselves, few could have guessed the real culprit was their light bulbs. Low energy bulbs can make your televisions turn over the station at random, according to customers. Among the first to spot the problem were cable customers Alistair and Emma Clements. They rang their supplier, Virgin Media, and were told the problem could be because of the Philips low-energy light bulb fitted nearby. So they changed it and it helped. The couple say the channel still flips from time to time, even though the nearest low-energy bulb is now in another room. The experts say infrared light from modern fluorescent bulbs can be mistaken by electrical equipment for commands from its remotes. They warn that while moving or changing the offending device usually solves the problem, the proliferation of gadgets in homes increases the likelihood of such interference. I wonder what it does to your brain, eh? Now, they tell you not to sit more than, uh, closer than three feet from these things because you all, they can also burn your skin with ultraviolet. And you should always have them really covered so you're not looking directly into them because of the bad for your eyes if you're getting too much ultraviolet going straight into the retina. But here it is now, uh, giving off these uh, pulses, basically. And it mentions in here, it's a form of pulsation it gives because it's a fluorescent-type bulb. What else will it do? And why are they being made, made law? Why is something containing mercury being made law? You've got to use them. What kind of power do they have at the top when someone can mandate the kind of light bulbs you can use? that obviously aren't anywhere near as good as the old light bulbs when it comes to giving off light. And they've got all these odd radio waves around them, surrounded by radio waves and energies that affect other things, maybe your brain too. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. And just before I take callers, I'm just going to mention again to Bertrand Russell and his impact of science on society where he talks about really mind control for the masses who will be completely oblivious of the, the fact they're being controlled and how he talks about using music and all the arts and uh, movies, uh, all, the, all what we're used to today with uh, the internet now really uh, to make all this happen to alter our brain or we are thinking, bring us to conclusions. Now, you know, I went through the light bulbs too. Why is it so mandatory? Why is it so a must-be? We must get these very unhealthy light bulbs under the guise of saving energy when they obviously don't give off as much light, white light. They give off infrared and ultraviolet, and that's not very good for you. And they also give off this energy pulse, basically, because they're fluorescent. Is there another reason to it, or we're just being paranoid? Well, personally, I think there's another reason to it. Here's another article here, and it's from Mail Online. 3D uh, TV health warning. Tuning in can cause confusion, nausea, and even convulsions, says Electronics Giant. Uh, The world's biggest electronics company has issued an extraordinary health warning about the dangers of watching 3D television. Pregnant women, the elderly, children and those suffering from serious medical conditions are among a wide range of people said to be at risk. 
It also extends to those who have been sleep-deprived or drinking. It highlights alarming side effects such as confusion, nausea, convulsions, altered vision, lightheadedness, dizziness, and involuntary movements such as eye or muscle twitching and cramps. This is from watching television, 3D. And it's at Samsung's uh, putting the health warnings out on all their different uh, gadgetry. There's also concerns that those with epilepsy could be at risk of, uh, of seizures, as they are from strobe lighting and photographers' flashes on normal television. They, they know already it alters your spatial ability. If you were to watch this stuff and then jump into your car, you're liable to smash into something because you think you can judge the distance between your, your, the roads and other cars, but you can't. Your brain has adapted to the television within minutes. Why is that happening? We're already getting put into a virtual reality, folks. And people love it. They love it. It's all through entertainment, having fun. That's what Russell keeps pushing all the time. The one thing they crave in the cramped cities is entertainment. And that's the, me- the method to get it all through to you. You must want it. Now, there's this Prentice from Alaska. Are you there, Prentice? Yo, hey, how you doing, Alan? Not so bad. Yeah, first of all, I just want to thank you for all you do, man. And uh, to all your new new listeners out there, uh, try to support him. And, I mean, if you don't buy anything, I recommend the Sweet Liberty CDs he has because when you listen to those, it's giving you an awakening process that if you're uh, sitting with, you know, one of your friends who may be on the fence or something like that, information goes, it uh, helps them connect a lot of dots. So I, um, I just like to recommend that to people out there, um, if you want to get something to share with your friends and family, you know, that's the thing you want to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh, is that the end of the show? That's the music coming in, yeah. Okay, then. Well, I'll call in again, Alan. Sure. Thanks for calling in and reminding them, too, because I never plucked myself and most hosts plug themselves every uh, one and a half minutes. <laughs> but thanks for pushing that. Yeah, I have lots of good CDs you can buy with old shows where I go through ancient histories and techniques of manipulation and control you know, thousands of years ago. So it's all worthwhile learning and it's interesting stuff. From Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.